Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the newer and the older testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith, and currently we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Right, Genesis chapter 31. Genesis chapter 31, we're picking up in verse 44. God willing, we'll be able to finish Genesis chapter 31 today. And this has been a couple weeks that we've been doing this where we have Laban and Jacob. Jacob picked up his family, tried to get away, hopefully getting back to his homeland where his father's living, where his brother's living. Maybe he thinks his mom is still living there. And uh, he decides it's time to go home. It's been 20 years Laban finds out that they're on the run. Laban catches up with them in the, in the mountains of Gilead. And this is not quite home. Jacob's not quite home yet when Laban catches up to him and overtakes him. You remember the uh, conflict that was there. And, and the night before the conflict, however, God appears to Laban and says, Hey, back off. You know, don't, don't, uh, don't harm Jacob. And then Laban comes and has fierce words. But he also admits that God appeared to me and told me not to hurt you. And then you remember Laban said, then why did you steal my gods? And Rachel had been sitting on the gods in the saddlebags. And Mm -hmm. Jacob said, we didn't steal your gods. In fact, I'm so sure of it. Look for your gods. Find your gods. If you find your gods, kill whoever's got your gods because we didn't steal your gods. And if you find them, kill them. And Rachel's probably a little disturbed (laughs) at that news. And she ends up getting away with it. And Laban doesn't have anything to show for his accusations. Then Jacob comes unglued at Laban. And accuses him, hey, where is it? Where's the stuff you claiming that we stole? Lay it out here in front of everybody. Let everybody else judge. And he obviously doesn't have anything. And then Jacob lays out basically what it's been like to work for Laban for 20 years and how miserable that's been. And so now we're at that point. We left off last week at that verse where Laban says, everything here is mine. This is Laban, not Jacob. Laban says, everything you see is mine. Those daughters, those are mine. Those those sons, those are mine. Sons? No, they're not. And the daughters? No, they're wives now, Jacob. Those are Jacob's sons. And everything you see, the flock is mine. Everything you see is mine. Laban's making huge claims, none of which are true. And then uh, he finally says, or you see that turning point there, where there's kind of a breakdown, and he ends up saying, but what can I do? What can I do? And it was basically in verses 42 and 43 where Jacob, Jacob says to Laban, unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham... And the fear of Isaac, we're going to see that term again today. And the fear of Isaac had been with me. Surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labors of my hands and rebuked you last night. And then verse 43, and Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters. These children are my children. This flock is my flock. All that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters or to their children whom they have born? So we're picking up there at verse 44. And somebody might reading verse 44. This is Laban now speaking to Jacob. Now, therefore, come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. Excellent. Thank you, Gabriella. So it sounds here, at least one commentator is saying that at this point, Laban is giving up. He's surrendering. He's recognizing there's nothing else he can do. But then another commentator says, 
well, maybe this is Laban's last-ditch effort to still exercise control over Jacob in this situation by making this suggestion that they make a covenant or cut a covenant would actually be the literal way of describing that. The reason cut a covenant is actually more literal than make a covenant is because you would have, ratifying the covenant, you would cut an animal. You would kill an animal as kind of a sign or a very strong word picture, if you would, of what's to happen to somebody that's going to break the covenant. All right, So it's basically an agreement that as what happened to that animal, we both agree we would deserve the same if we were to break this covenant. All right. So this is Laban's suggestion that they make a covenant. By the way, this is not the first time Laban has proposed to make a deal with Jacob. When was the first time Laban proposed to make a deal with Jacob? Do you guys remember? Second daughter, right? It was before then. With Leah. It was with Rachel and Leah. Yeah, it was, you remember that Laban said to Jacob, hey, you've been working with me for a month. You know, should you just be working with me for, for nothing? You know, name your wages. And Jacob said, okay, I'll work for this beautiful you lamb. I'll work for Rachel. And uh, you remember how that turned out. <laughs> so with that in mind of how that turned out, that last agreement that they had, that big agreement, that first agreement, I should say, the first agreement that they had and how that turned out, and now Laban's proposing another agreement. Mm-hmm. And you'll remember one of the accusations Jacob had about Laban was, you've changed my wages 10 times, right? So there's been other agreements along the way because every year, every season would start with this negotiation process of, of what the wages were to be for the next year. And here comes another one. And it's a change my wages over and over again. I'm sure it wasn't too much. Uh, there, It doesn't sound like there was as much negotiation as there was imposed upon Jacob. Laban's desire of what the contract was going to be. So this is a guy that I'm thinking in Jacob's mind is not really trustworthy and he wants me to make an agreement with him. But Jacob goes that extra mile, and he does. He makes an agreement with him. By the way, uh, when it says there, and let it be a witness between you and me, when Laban says, let it be a witness between you and me, this is the first time that that Hebrew word for witness appears, where we have it translated here as witness. It's not a rare word, but it's been 31 chapters, and here we're seeing it for the first time. It shows up four times here in this study that we're going to be doing today. But this is also the word that shows up in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, about bearing false witness, about lying. And I think it's just kind of ironic that the first time it shows up in the Bible is one liar to another. (laughs) All right? (laughs) One false witness to another, and they're, you know, let it be a witness type of thing. Uh, Somebody might reading verse 45. And Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Excellent. Thank you. Jacob took a stone, set it up as a pillar. Thank you, Levette. Has Jacob done this before? We've seen him with stones before. When, when was that last time that we saw him doing something with a stone? Bethel. There you go, at Bethel, 20 years earlier. Bethel is where God met Jacob on his way. He hadn't even met Laban yet. He hadn't even arrived and seen Rachel. And you remember God appeared to him. And he had a stone for a pillow. And when he woke up, he took that stone pillow and set it up as a pillar as a commemoration, as a memorial of what had happened there. And here he's doing the same thing. He's setting up a stone as a pillar, as a memorial, something to commemorate this location, to commemorate this occasion. And then uh, here we have in Genesis chapter 28, 11, is where it talks about where God met him and he set the stone up that was at his head. Verse 20, chapter 28, verse 18 has it as well. And then in chapter 31, 13, God reminds Jacob, when God is saying it's time to go back home, God reminds Jacob, I'm the one that met you when you set up that stone as a pillar. So marking the day to commemorate 
the progress so far. That's what he's doing there. He's setting up the stone. He's commemorating the occasion. And, and he's also looking back at the progress he's made so far. This is kind of a fill in the blank. Your first fill in the blank there is going to be mark this day, commemorating your progress so far. And I want this to be a challenge to you as well. I'll, I'll give you a little story from my past. There was a day, it was at the end of high school, and I was looking forward to going to college, and it was real close to me leaving. And I remember that I was working for a lady, and I, I did yard work for her. So I, I hate bougainvillea to this day because <laughs> she had more bougainvillea than I've ever seen in anybody's yard. Anyway, I'm, I was working on the bougainvillea. I was very sweaty. My hands were all cut up. I'm listening to Christian talk show radio, you know, as I would do frequently as I was doing that work. And I remember I was on a break listening to this particular speaker, and I don't know who it was, and I don't even know what the message was was about, but he basically said... He said, you need to make sure that you're a Christian. Okay, I get that. That makes a lot of sense. And you need to commemorate the day you became a Christian. And if you don't have a day, pick this day to commemorate from this point forward because the devil's going to whisper in your ear. If you don't have a date that you can point to and say, I was a Christian on that date, right? If you don't have one of those, the devil's going to whisper to you sometime in the future, then you really aren't. Right? He's going to say, oh, you don't have a date? Maybe you never were. Maybe you haven't been a Christian. Maybe you aren't a Christian now. Right? Mm-hmm. He's going to whisper those things to you. And I thought, well, that's a good idea. I, I guess I'll pick this day. So I chose that day. I had other dates, you know, two years before that. There was probably a date when I would say I really gave my life to Christ. But I didn't know the exact date. So I thought, well, I'll just pick today's date. What is today's date? And the date was actually 8-8 of 88. Mm-hmm. It was August 8 of 1988. God has a sense of humor. Wow. That helps me because I have a bad memory, and I can't remember dates for, for anything. Wow. But it turns out the date that I, I got to choose was that date. It was August 8th, 1988, and that was the day I commemorated what God was starting in my life, even though it had been a while. All right? Even though I had already had a history with God, it was nice to have a date now. So commemorating this day for you. If you don't have a date in your life that you can point to, pick today's day. I'm sorry, it's not as easy to remember as any other one. And maybe even uh, commemorate it as a birthday. We can, we're big on birthdays, right? We're big about every year that comes around. Don't want to miss my birthday. Don't want to miss your birthday. Everybody make sure everybody gets their birthdays remembered. You, you've been born again. If you're in Christ, you've been born again. That means a second birthday. <laughs> so if you need a second birthday, hey, who doesn't want to celebrate a second birthday? Pick today's date. Make this your second birthday, the day you were born again, if you don't already have a day to point to. And do something as a memorial every year when this date rolls around, reminding yourself, hey, you know what? Look how far God's brought me. Look at what God has done for you so far. And that's what Jacob's doing here. He's commemorating this occasion, and he's saying, look what God's done for me so far. Look how he's been with me. It's been 20 years. It's been hard 20 years, but God's been with him the whole time. Today, you might be sitting here and being able to look back saying, it's been hard, but God's been with you the whole time. It's been miserable working with this guy. He's such a charlatan, such a trickster, such a liar. Well, aren't we kind of the same? Jacob's kind of the same as Laban in this case, and sometimes we're not as different from the world as we might think we are. But God still has love for us and patience for us. Look how far God's brought us. Commemorate this day if you don't already have if you don't already have a day. Verse 46. Somebody mind reading verse 46. Then Jacob said to his brethren, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there on the heap. Excellent. Thank you. Gather stones. It's actually two words in the Hebrew, just as we have in this translation, two words in in the English. These are the only two words recorded by Jacob in this whole episode. 
Surely he did other talking, but as far as words that are recorded, it sounds like he's maybe given Laban the quiet treatment. (laughs) (laughs) Laban's the one that proposed, hey, let's make a covenant, and it sounds like he, on his own, without making any words, sets up this pillar and then invites his brethren, his clan, to gather stones, right? So they're going to gather stones, and they end up making a heap. They're to collect the stones and make a heap there. Verse 47 Laban called it Jagar Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. All right. We have two different languages reflected here. You have Laban using Aramaic and you have Jacob using Hebrew. Both of these words mean the same thing, though. Both of these words mean heap or a witness heap. All right. So they're both commemorating the occasion. They're commemorating the location. They've got words for it, and they're each using their most familiar language, Laban using the Aramaic, Jacob using the Hebrew. Aramaic and Hebrew are different languages, but they have similarities. And uh, in fact, I have a note here that's kind of interesting where it says, according to the Talmud, one should not esteem the Aramaic language lightly, for as these two words show, it appears in the Torah itself. And that's kind of interesting. Here we have a little bit of Aramaic showing up in this place. Galid, by the way, is the sound of the name Gilead. We saw that they were in the location of Gilead. That location name getting from from this occasion that we have here. Verse 48, And Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, its name was called Galid. And there, just again, how this place got its name. Verse 49 throws a new one in there, a third name. Also Mizpah, because he said, May the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent one from another. So Laban is acknowledging that this is the last time they're going to see each other, that they're going to separate, they're going to part ways. And Laban is saying that this heap of stones is going to be a witness heap, if you will, and it's going to be a marker. And in his way of thinking, it's a place for God to watch from. Mizpah means watchtower. And so he's basically saying, let this place be the place where God watches you and watches me and make sure that we behave well toward one another. And Laban's going to throw on some more stipulations that you're about to see. In verse 50, somebody mind reading verse 50. If you mistreat my daughters or if you, uh, you take any wives besides my daughters, even though no one is with us, remember that God is a witness between you and me. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. This is actually very common language that you would find in marriage contracts and uh, archaeological discoveries in Newsy 1,500 years before Christ. You end up finding this kind of language in marriage contracts. It sounds like from the discoveries that have been made that this is the kind of language you would have expected a father to impose upon his son-in-law at the time of marriage. And when this was imposed at the time of marriage... It was a requirement from that day forward to abide by these rules that you're not to mistreat the daughters and you're not to take any other wives, okay? And usually when you would impose these, that would solidify the marriage. It would make the marriage final. The fact that they're not said until this far into the process, 20 years, this Laban has had his grasp on their marriage, not making it official is what it sounds like. It sounds like he's been withholding his making it official, their marriages. It sounds like he's got some control issues. But anyway, and if you look at it there, he can't even say your wives. He says my daughters. He's still referring to them as my daughters and not your wives. Oh, okay. Sorry. It's getting under my skin a little bit. <laughs> All right. Uh, Verse 51, then Laban said to Jacob, here is this heap and here is this pillar. 
which I have placed between you and me? Which, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with the way he says that? Yeah, because Jacob said, hey, let's gather stones. It was Jacob that set up the pillar. It was Jacob who invited people to set up the stones. And here Laban's taking the credit as if he's the one that did. Oh, my goodness. All right. So it sounds like just as he falsely claimed that the women were his, that the children were his, the flocks were his, he was wrong on all those accounts. He's also wrong about, you know, this pillar that I set up, this heap of stones that I set up. In verse 52, this heap is a witness and this pillar is a witness that I will not pass beyond this heap to you and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. So here we have, it's a boundary, all right? It's a location, it's marking an occasion, but it's also a boundary of sorts. Laban's going to stay over here in the east and Jacob's going to be west of this location and Laban is calling for God to be the witness to watch on both sides and make sure everybody behaves themselves. But you'll tell from his language, it sounds mostly like he's wanting God just to watch Jacob. You know, <laughs> it sounds like really that's the plan is just that God will watch Jacob. Mm-hmm. By the way, this heap in this pillar is being, like I said, a boundary or whatnot. It's going to separate Jacob from the trouble that he's had with Laban. Right. This is going to be finally a breaking away of, from that troubled 20 years in the past, All right, up to this point. 20 years of trouble, and he finally gets to see a break from it. It becomes a boundary between the two men, but it also, like I said, becomes a boundary between him and his trouble. What I'd want to say to you then is get help in piling up a heap of stuff between you and trouble. That's the second one that you've got to fill in there on your worksheet. Get help in piling up a heap of stuff between you and trouble, all right? Because he didn't pile up this heap just for himself. He invited people to help him, all right? How does that have any sort of application in our lives? I'm going to, all right, I'm going to stretch this a little bit. Here we go. Mm -hmm. If your trouble is getting drunk, then quit driving down the street that your favorite car is on, right? I mean, put a heap between you and your trouble. Put a boundary between you and the trouble. Quit driving down that street, that had your bar on it, all right? Find a different route. If your trouble is gambling, don't pick Las Vegas as your vacation destination, all right? Put a boundary between you and your trouble. If your trouble is pornography, then either unplug the computer or get somebody to help you by putting on a, a, a filter that they know the password to and you don't, all right? Put a boundary between you and your trouble and get help in doing it, all right? Get some accountability, Boundary between you and the donut shop. <laughs> Boundary between you and the donut shop. Another great example. In my case, it'd be the ice cream shop. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I got in trouble the other day. We have a thing of gift cards that aren't used yet, and we keep them all in the same place. And so I was going through them the other day, and I found a Baskin Robbins gift card. Mm-hmm. I don't know whose it was. And most of our gift cards, we've now gotten into the habit of actually writing the name of the person that it's, you know, this could have been any of my three daughters mm-hmm. could have been to me who knows could have been to my wife so i took it and i went to baskin robbins without, without the family and and i was actually good though i was thinking about getting an ice cream and being sneaky about it but then i got there and i ended up using it and brought home two quarts of ice cream so i was the hero right and everybody's like damn bro ice cream i never do that i never bring it home from baskin robbins it's too expensive but we had a gift card so i bring it home and they're like wow what's the occasion and then my wife says, you know, how'd you pull this off? And then the gift card part come out now. And now everybody's like, wait a minute. That could have been my card. Well, that could have been my card with this. Okay, how we get here? We were talking about ice cream. Okay. <laughs> so I, to be the hero. That's right. The dog. Yeah. Oh, it changed so fast. <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be a professional today. <laughs> 
All right, verse 53. Somebody might read in verse 53 nice and loud, please. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of their father judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father, Isaac. Excellent. Thank you, Esther. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor. Are those one and the same God, or are they two different gods? In Laban's mouth, we can't tell. And we also have what? And the God of their father judge between us. Their father, you might remember, is Terah. Terah had these two sons, Abraham, and also had Nahor, Nahor and Abraham being brothers. Abraham and Nahor, born to Terah. And here we have on the lips of Laban, says the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of their father, that would be Terah, judge between us. We don't know whether his belief system was one God or if it was multiple. There is a suggestion that the reason that Jacob ended up setting up not only the stone but the heap, all right, the heap of stones, there's a suggestion that when Laban was calling for the covenant, when Laban was calling for the contract, that you would call upon your deity or your deities to come and officiate, to come witness, all right, to come keep an eye on everything, and that perhaps Jacob setting up one stone is commemorating his monotheism. He believes in one God. And that perhaps Laban has a multiple God thinking, a polytheism, and that the multiple stones that make up the heap are for his multiple gods. And that Jacob would be unwilling to just let a heap represent the deities because Jacob, being a monotheist, would be represented by the single stone. That's a suggestion. I don't know whether or not that's actually the case, but it's, it's intriguing. And here we have language that's kind of hard to tell. Is Laban believing in one God or is he believing in many gods? Or there's even another one where you believe in one god over others. And that could have been a possibility as well. But this interesting second part of the verse there where it says, And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. This is the second time we've seen this. We saw it in verse 42. The fear of Isaac. That's kind of a strange phrase. In verse 42 is the first time that we see that. The fear of Isaac. It's clearly speaking by the context. We could tell it's speaking of, of God. It's speaking of the God of Isaac. All right. So we're speaking of the God of Isaac. Another place or another way you can translate it is not just the fear of Isaac, but the dread of Isaac or the terror of Isaac. And you remember how we talked about last week. Does that mean that the God is fearful, that the God is terrible, that the God strikes terror in the person who is the follower of God? Or does this God strike terror in the hearts of anybody that opposes the person who follows that God? And you remember we, we leaned toward that one, especially when God appeared to Laban and said, hey, knock it off. Back off. Leave Jacob alone. And that struck terror in Laban's heart and Laban's attitude, if you will. But the fear of the Lord. I want to talk about the fear of the Lord for a moment here. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And in another place you have in Proverbs 9.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's your third fill in the blank there. You can write in the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, or you could write in the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. If you have somebody that claims to be wise and they have never feared God, then it's a worldly wisdom. There's no actual wisdom there. Godly wisdom would say you need to recognize God is holy, and we are not. That God is to be feared. And if you think, well, these are Old Testament passages. I mean, this is the way God was in the Old Testament. This is the way God was a long time ago. He was really mean back then. But he's a different God now. Well, Hebrews has something else to say. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 30 through 31 says this, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God is holy. 
And we need to always remember that God is holy. Sometimes I think we err when we preach that God is your best friend, that God is your buddy, Mm -hmm. as if we can continue living in sin and God will turn a blind eye to that. That's not the God of the Bible. God is holy and just. And if you're going to continue living in your sin, I'm sorry, that's not going to fly with this God. (laughs) God, this one true God says, no, I have forgiveness that will extend to even your sins. I can take care of your sins, but don't think that you can treat me unholy. Don't think you can be in my presence and just treat sin as this casual thing. We need to recognize God is holy and he abhors our sin. And if we love and follow God, we will become like him and come to a point where hopefully we abhor our sins. Where we recognize, I need your forgiveness. I am a wretch. And how much more do we need the amazing grace than when we recognize like a wretch like me? (laughs) All right. So we need to be careful to recognize that God is holy and just. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Verse 54. Somebody might read that one. He offered a sacrifice there in the hill country and invited his relatives to a meal after they had eaten. They spent the night there. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. So this reminds me kind of like Mike's weekend over over Joshua Tree this last week and spending time out on the mountains and out with God. Uh, Jacob offering a sacrifice, and then they eat. They're probably eating the sacrifice. All right. This is actually the first time that we have this word being used for the sacrifice. You had, uh, so far we've been moving through the book of Genesis. We've seen burnt offerings. And those are completely consumed by the fire. This one is more like a barbecue. All right. (laughs) So this sacrifice is made and it's eaten as well. And it also says that they ate bread, but the word for bread there actually means a meal. Okay. So a lot of times these covenants were ratified or they were paired with the meal as well. So it's kind of interesting to think about Jacob's having a meal with Laban and their two clans all together enjoying this meal out in the mountains, staying the night out there on the mountains. The mountains, by the way, of Gilead, we've talked about that before, not specifically named here, but elsewhere at the beginning of this passage is where it was named. Another thing that's interesting, too, is when you see that this mentioned that they ate bread, this calls to mind chapter 28, verse 20, where you'll remember God appeared to Jacob 20 years before. And out in the field, God, when he appeared to Jacob, Jacob said one of his main concerns was bread, that I would have bread. If you'll, if you'll supply me bread to eat. And here we are 20 years later, And God has supplied bread. Here we are 20 years later. He's setting up part two of the pillar story, right? And God has fulfilled what his biggest concerns were 20 years before. That God has been faithful to take care of Jacob during that time. And so these are like bookends with the pillars. The one being, I'm afraid that I'm going to go hungry. I'm afraid I won't have bread. And 20 years later, God being faithful and God providing the bread. Verse 55, and early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. And it's with these words that we close out this chapter, not just chapter 31, but we close out this chapter with Laban. But here's one of the interesting things to note. If you compare these words with Genesis chapter 29, verse 13, the very first time that Laban met Jacob, the very first time Laban met Jacob, here are the words, then it came to pass... When Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Right. Those are the words of Laban meeting Jacob. Mm -hmm. Now that Laban's leaving Jacob, there's no kiss for Jacob. (laughs) There's no embrace for Jacob. So it's kind of a sour note that we're left with. Right. Because Laban gave kisses to everybody else, but he doesn't give a kiss to Jacob. 
-hmm. But you know what? I'm going to say that's okay. Here's why. Because of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 6 says this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Mm. And this has been Jacob's enemy. Mm. <laughs> All right. New Living Translation has wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. So it's okay. I don't need a kiss from you, Laban. Mm. <laughs> Because it's been a hard 20 years. Yeah. And if you don't want to kiss me, that's fine. Because even if you did kiss me, I wouldn't believe mm -hmm. that you were actually sincere anyway. So this is how it ends then. Filling in your words then, you should have marked this day, commemorating your progress so far. Next one, get help in piling up a heap of stuff between you and trouble. And then the third one, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But in closing, I want to draw your attention to one other story about setting up a stone as a memorial. This is actually something that happens several times as you read through your Bible. This is not the only time it happens. One of the most significant times, I think, is in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 27. That's a lot of verses. That's 14 verses, and we're not going to read it through right now. Uh, but I'd recommend those verses to you for you later. But here's what I want to say. I want to summarize it with this. The occasion then regarding the setting up the stone, and it's in particular, I want to read verses 26 and 27. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. What is the occasion here? The occasion here is when Joshua is challenging the people Choose this day who you're going to serve. Choose this day who you're going to serve. And he, he gets rough with them in the sense that he actually says, you know what? Don't just tell me you're going to serve God. Show me. Don't just say that you're going to be a follower of God. Live it out. Make it real. And so what I'd want to say to you today is make it real. If it hasn't been real in your life, make it real. If it's just been words, make it life. Make it the way you live. Make the way that you live for God something real. And just as they would set up a stone, it, it was just a rock. A stone doesn't have eyes. A stone doesn't have ears, but God does. God sees and God hears what's going on. And then the people say in verse 21, no, but we will serve the Lord. Let that be our response as well. We will serve the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for the challenges that you have for us. Help us, Lord, to resolve to be yours, not just in word, but in deed as well. Help us, Lord, to set up heaps between us and our trouble. And help us, Lord, to recognize that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Thank you in Jesus' name. Go with us now. Amen. Amen.